Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by OCR athlete Ashley Heller. Ashley and I had a great conversation diving into the lessons she has learned from her injuries and the injury recovery, and also how that impacts how she trains today, as well as how she trains her athletes. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Ashley, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm awesome. It's been a great morning so far, so no complaints. Good. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to talk to you. You have, I want to say quite a history just since with your athlete career, starting with nothing related to running or OCR and have become (laughs) this awesome OCR athlete and coach. Um, So I'm excited to kind of just dive into your story, but um, first off, just introduce yourself a little bit. Who are you? Like in a nutshell, I do all the things all the time as fast as I can. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I usually start my bows with, I like shiny objects and (laughs) I spend a lot of time outside. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) no, so I uh, am a runner. Uh, obstacle course racer. I have a running background. My husband and I run a team of real estate agents. We also have um, our own training business and called Heller Personal Training. Um, and then I do coaching along with that. And so does he. Um, and then I'm also an adjunct professor. And uh, I think that's mostly it. Is that it? That's it. And you have an awesome dog. Oh, I have the coolest dog. She's laying here. <laughs> the best uh her name is jex and i call her sexy jexy and because that makes sense um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's a great intro right there. <laughs> my best one ever uh, i'm also very colorful yes <laughs> yes you are <laughs> um let's just kind of dive into your history as an athlete i know from your <clears throat> from our conversation before you actually were a ski racer when you were in your younger years um, and mentioned that really kind of helped form you as an athlete. What impact did, or how did ski racing really impact your life and help you develop to the athlete you are now? So yeah, I ski raced a lot. Um, I started from a pretty young age. I think that's, I mean, pretty common in that sport. Uh, it's not like you come in later in life and you're like the best ski racer ever. You kind of, it's kind of like a lifelong endeavor. Um, so I started in that, oh gosh, I don't even know how old I was. I was pretty young. Um, at Mount Bachelor, the ski, one of the coaches actually saw me and invited me to come at race. And then it just kind of like blossomed from there. Um, his name was Nils. Um, <laughs> and so I grew up doing that through all of like middle school, high school, and then it kind of got to the point where like I either had to take a route of going like super serious and try to get on the U.S. ski team or the option of going to college. Um, <clears throat> and I actually have friends who are on the U.S. ski team. One of them just retired, actually. Um, but uh, it was it was really, really intense because the amount of training and what it required to actually complete and compete like everything that you had to do. So like, you know, I was up we lived to an hour and a half to two hours away from the ski resort where I was on the team. So it was Mount Bachelor Ski Education Foundation. And uh, um, 
So we had to get up really early. I had to be there Saturday morning, Saturday and Sunday morning, all day, every day. And then I would go on trips to races, like with a group of girls in stay in a condo. I had to feed myself, had to prep all my gear. Like there was just a lot of stuff in terms of discipline that had to be done in order for you to be even moderately successful. So I think that like instilling that in me in a young age and having to actually take care of a lot of that by myself, not that my parents were there because they were, but on trips that they weren't there, I had to learn a lot of responsibility and a lot of discipline, like pretty early. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, from there, so you ski or you did the ski racing. How did that then transition into you becoming a runner and racer? <laughs> right. So those are very different things. <laughs> um, I know. Like, I mean, both have racing in them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You both, you like to go fast. <laughs> Um, but they're both very different, like body styles and training philosophies and stuff. So no, I went to a really small high school, uh, like really small. So there was only about, um, 86 kids, nine through 12. And I went through the same school from second grade until 12th grade. Um, so when you go to a small school like that, you can play a lot of sports. Um, so I ran cross country and track and ski race and play basketball, um, and don't tell anyone this, but I was my cheerleader. Uh, <laughs> it's our secret. <laughs> yeah, our secret. No one's going to hear me say that at all. Um, <laughs> so it kind of makes it, the good news is it makes it so you can dapple in a lot of different things. So I just overall was a decent athlete. Uh, I guess to toot my own horn, a good athlete, um, so I was competitive in all of the things that I did. So in the winter I ski raced and then in fall and spring, I ran cross country and track and I was pretty good. Like I would toe the line and I mostly ran the 200 and 400 at first and then gradually moved into the 800 and, um, I was winning. <laughs> so we go to, we go to meets and I'd win. So it just kind of like blossomed from there. And then when I went to leave uh, when I graduated from high school, I actually got a scholarship to ski race and a scholarship to run track at two different schools. And then I was like, uh Oh, what do I do? And so then I tried to find a school that I could actually do both. And originally I did do both. And then I ended up just going to running, um, because ski racing for that long, it's super, it takes a lot out of you. And I guess I kind of got burnt out with this, you know, it's, it's pretty intense. So then I just kind of like fell into track because it became a little bit more serious than it, uh, like the college ski racing wasn't as serious as college track was. And I wanted to take the, I chose the harder route, I guess. <laughs> Makes <sense>. wrong that. <laughs> yep. Where, so, okay. So then you went, you went to college, ran track. Mm-hmm. Did you stick okay. with the like shorter mid distance stuff or did you transition to the longer stuff? So yeah, in middle school and high school, I ran the two, four and eight and then four by four relay. And then in college, I was mostly an 800 and 1500 meter runner. And then as I kind of progressed through college, uh, I got pushed a little bit more toward the 1500 because I had top end speed, but not top end speed that a 200 meter runner needs, but I had more of an engine. So the 15 was kind of a great fit because I, it's, you know, a hybrid of both of those energy systems, um, like very significant aerobic, but also an anaerobic aspect too. 
Um, so I was a specialist in the 18 or in the, in the 800 and 1500. I like the 800 better, but it was faster. It's 15. <laughs> so. It's pretty much a sprint now. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically it's the, just hang on for dear life. The second half. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> when, as far as Spartan goes, then do you prefer more of that sprint? the sprint distance since it's shorter or where does, how do you do with the longer stuff? So that's a really good question. Um, when I first started in Spartan, that's when sprints were actually like five to six miles and there was harder obstacles in the sprint courses. Um, so like you would see Twister and Olympus and stuff in the sprint course. I like that. <laughs> now that sprint courses are, dare I say, a little watered down, like the harder obstacles are in the super and beast. I would say I actually like the beast better, even though I probably, my body's more catered toward the super and sprint. Um, but that just because again, that choosing the harder route, it's more of a challenge. The sprint courses are just, they're not as challenging. They're, I don't want to say boring, but boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I want the hard, the fun obstacles, you know? So, I mean, not that I, it's boring that I don't like, it's fun to win and stuff. And I haven't, I don't do that every time, but yeah, I just, I like to be challenged. So I think that it's more of a challenge for me to run the beast distance. Okay. It's not my forte. Yeah. So. No, totally get that. And I definitely understand like the, like the obstacles are different and harder in the, in the super and the beast. And they're, I enjoy those because of like over the sprint because of that as well like I like that challenge of some of those other ones right yeah like I want to see yeah because you used to see Twister and Olympus consistently in a sprint and now you have to do have to do a super to see Twister box not the pipe is harder but you don't see it in sprints <laughs> either uh you know so yeah no I the totally newer stuff but, totally but yeah awesome um what so throughout your entire training career from ski racing to now um i know you've dealt with a number of like mental and physical struggles through there as well and that's ultimately not that that's why i like want to dive into <laughs> but it's what a lot of people can relate to and don't talk about often enough i think um which is why i would love for you like as much or as little as you feel comfortable sharing i would love <laughs> you to kind of talk about that side of the athlete story Sure. So, um, I think like when an athlete gets hurt, if it's somebody in the limelight, like, I feel like it's, they, it, it kind of just gets like pushed away because people really want to see like people who are succeeding and doing great things and stuff. So it's like, Oh yeah, sorry that that sucks for you. And everyone feels bad for you, but then it just, it's like, they get kind of forgotten about, which is, <laughs> sounds really kind of messed up, but it's true, you know, but the thing that people do need to understand is injury is part of being an athlete. Like it's, I don't know a single person who's gone through their entire career without having some sort of injury. Like you always have like little niggles and stuff like that, but like a serious injury, like a broken bone or, you know, tendonitis or something that puts you out for a little bit. Um, so I definitely have dealt with my fair share of that being a lifelong athlete. Um, in ski racing, I actually, actually, I don't even know if people know this, but I fractured my ankle, the one that I just recently broke, um, doing a ski jump competition for the first time ever. Uh, I was 
I went the second furthest that day of all the boys and girls, but I got a terrible result because I didn't obviously land. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> which is why I then ended up in first room. Um, <laughs> so that was great. <laughs> um, I went really far. <laughs> um, so that was probably like my first big injury. And then also um, coming out of, or like my senior year of high school, <clears throat> I fell pretty hard into a finish arena of a ski race because they didn't have the, uh, like, so you're going really fast. Like it was a, I think it was a GS race. Um, then we're topping out at like 60 miles an hour and you're coming into like in high school anyways, they go way faster than that. And like, you know, the big races, but, um, <laughs> but when you come into like the finishing area, if it's not long enough, like, it, you know, it takes a little bit to stop and they had it too small. And I went through the fence at the end and I actually hurt my knee and ended up having to have surgery before my freshman year of college going into track or cross country. So, um, I've had to deal with that. And then with running, I've had multiple stress injuries, tendonitis, the fractured my fourth and fifth metatarsal recently fractured my tibia. Um, so, I mean, there's just, it's, there's always something when you put your body through the rigors like that, it's important to know that it can happen. Um, and then, it, you know, dealing with the consequences of that is, it's kind of just part of the process as crappy as that sounds. <laughs> so knowing you're not alone and that it happens to everyone can kind of offer a little bit of solace. Um, and then it's just a matter of like finding what works for you in terms of recovery to get you through it and then not giving up. And I know that sounds like it's way easier to hear than actually do. Um, but you, you just have to keep going. Like you have to force yourself to keep going, whatever that looks like for you you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So I have a story if you want to hear it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> my, the first time I had a stress fracture was my junior year of college. And this one actually, it like, it broke my heart. Um, I had a hot spot on my foot and I didn't know it. And we were going into conference championships and it was the middle of the 800. And I remember that morning telling my friend Molly, I was like, my foot hurts. And she was like, you need to tell her coach. And I was like, no, it'll be fine. It's only two weeks till nationals. I'd qualified for nationals in like four events. And so I was like determined that I was going to make it happen. This was a big deal. Right. Um, and so I went to the conference meet. I ran, I was running the 800. I got tripped up by this girl from Corbin university. I see, I remember it very vividly. <laughs> um, and I stepped on the rail on the inside of the track and my foot immediately, it fractured it in like in half. Um, and I finished the race with a broken foot, did not do well, by the way. So it was like the last 200 meters I was running with a broken foot, the whole field passed me, it was terrible. Um, but uh, then I took my shoe off and it swelled up and I was so determined I was gonna keep going. I told my coach, I was like, no, I'm running the four by four because the four by four was supposed to be like in an hour and a half. Um, and I was like, I will be running at nationals. We'll tape it up, it'll be fine coach. It's no big deal, I'm running at nationals. Um, and I didn't run a national. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's probably, probably a good call. <laughs> um, but I do remember that was so hard because here my whole team was going to St. Louis, Missouri to run the national championships. And I was stuck at home watching on my computer. And uh, I just remember being like so depressed and so sad. Like I was, I was gutted, just heartbroken. I think that was the first time it really like my first big injury that made it so hard to keep going. 
Um, but now that I've experienced that, like coming back from other things, I've done it before. I know what I got to do so I can do it. You know, like I, I don't want to say I'm calloused, but cause it's always hard, but as long as it's never as bad as that was, then it's okay. <laughs> so I keep telling myself. <laughs> well, I think too, like it takes a lot of per, like takes multiple injuries and a lot of perspective and patience to realize it too. But it's like, after you've been injured, you do the necessary things to get back appropriately. Well, assuming you do. And it's like, <laughs> you most times end up faster and stronger than you were before. And so it's like, it's really takes a lot of like perspective and reflection in order to kind of truly understand, like I've been injured before and I went into like, I got stronger and faster. Like this is not a life or career ending thing that I'm going through right now. Right. And I think one thing is you got to kind of shift your perspective. So instead of thinking about all the things you can't do, which is what I did that time, you have to focus on what you can do. Like Nicole's doing a really good job at this right now. I mean, I'm sure it's hard for her and stuff that she has going on. Like, you know, cause she just had an ACL injury and stuff. Um, but you have to, you, you literally just have to reframe it. And every day it's a matter of making the decision. Like you get up in the morning, you have to make the decision of, I'm going to do this today in order to succeed at this later. And it, it has to be like an everyday choice and it's not going to be easy every day, <laughs> um, but you still have to do it. And some days you might have days where you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. And I'm going to sit on the couch and cry myself to sleep. That's fine too. Sometimes that helps you cope. <laughs> I've done that as well. <laughs> Everyone needs those days, even if you're not injured. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that just happens. <laughs> um, but like, just, yeah, you have to constantly reframe it into something that like, how can you be productive today? What's important today in order for you to continue to move forward? Yeah. And I think that's a great reminder too. Um, just because there's, even if you can't do the actual like exercises in sport, you normally did pre-injury doesn't mean while you're injured, you can't still do something. Something like you might have to adapt, um, but you can do like something. seated upper body strengthening stuff, you know, if you can't stand. And so there's always something you can do. It's just going to, like you said, look different temporarily. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Temporarily. Ooh, see, and then remembering that it's temporary. That's good too. <laughs> oh, great stuff. <laughs> exactly. Now let's take a quick break to talk about Equip Foods. Equip Foods is a supplement line, but what I really love about them is their products are made with 100% real food products. There's no fillers, there's no chemicals, there's nothing artificial in it. So everything that you are putting into your body when you consume their products is good for you. And they don't just have the normal protein and pre-workout type supplements. They also have products for decreasing inflammation, for joint health, for circulation for all sorts of things that just help you be an overall healthier person. So go check out everything Equip Foods has to offer at equip, E-Q-U-I-P, foods.com. And at checkout, if you use code F-I-X-15, that is F-I-X-1-5, you can save 15% on your order. You can also get a link to Equip Foods and all my other partners at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now let's get back to our conversation. 
being that you've dealt a number of injuries, so you can take this question from you as an athlete or as a coach, like what, how do you determine like when your body's like ready to start testing normal things again? So like after you came back from your fracture, how did you know you were ready to like, let's start testing running and just kind of see how things go? Like what's your process there? Um, so kind of depends on the injury, depends on the person, depends on where you're at, like mentally. Um, also a a big one really is the, what type of injury I think. Um, so I keep talking about broken foot, but recently I'm coming back from broken tibia. That's a slightly different situation just because I didn't do it to myself. Um, but, um, (laughs) so to answer the question, small stimulus. So whenever you're training anything, you apply a stimulus, your body has to adapt and then basically adapt, recover. And then you apply another stimulus. It can be slightly more, slightly more intense. It gradually increases, right? So you constantly have this like graph where you go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, but overall the trajectory overall, like big picture overall, it's not always perfectly linear. (laughs) Overall, the trajectory (laughs) is up. Yes, definitely not linear. Um, (laughs) but, um, so I think it's a matter of just applying a small stimulus and it can be whatever, like the brain can handle at that time or physically what it can handle. So coming back from both of my feet, my, when I fractured my, I fractured both my fourth and fifth metatarsal different times. Uh, I started with those as like my first run back was in a controlled area. So on a treadmill, uh, I think it was like a four or six minute run. And then every other day we added like two minutes, uh, recently with my tibia, because that's a very large load bearing bone. It was less than that. So I started, my first run back was a 200 meter run on a controlled surface, uh, which is not four to six minutes. (laughs) It was like one, (laughs) maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe, um, so it kind of just depends again, like what the injury is, but adding very small stimuli progressively. So you do a very progressive overload. I personally am very conservative with my athletes and my own training. Um, I don't want to risk overdoing it too soon because I've been injured and I, I, and I tell people this, when I start to work with them, I would rather have you be under trained and healthy than super fit watching everybody else compete. That's the worst. Mm-hmm. So and as long as you're okay with that, like this is what I tell my athletes, then, then we'll progress. If you're not okay with that, I'm not the coach for you <laughs> because I don't want that for you. And I, cause I wouldn't want it for myself. So yeah. I don't know yeah. if that answers the question. No, it does. And, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm right there with you as far as being the more conservative. Cause I had someone ask me the other day, they're like, this is what my therapist is telling me for returning to running. And I know her injury history. She's like, do you have a more aggressive plan? I was like, aggressive is not what you need. I'm like, aggressive wrong word. plan is what gets you re-injured. No, aggressive plans are bad plans. <laughs> In my opinion. Yeah. And there's a time and a place, but not coming back from injury. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I don't like that. And I mean, and it, it takes a little bit too, like knowing the athlete. So like, I know for me, I am a pretty low volume in terms of like hard impact athlete. Like when I fractured my foot in college, I was getting up to 60 mile and 60 mile weeks. 
when I did it the last time I was getting up to 60 mile weeks. <laughs> um, I know that that is a top end for me. So I'm not going to run that much because that's what happens to Ashley. Ashley's mechanics can't handle that. So <laughs> I personally will then offload that with, it's like, I'm still high volume in terms of like overall minutes. Um, but I do a lot of non-impact cross training. So I really, I actually, at my peak volume, I only run four days a week and they're all very intentional, very intentional with my runtime. Then I do a lot of, you know, cross training, but there's some athletes that I know can tolerate more than that. Like I have one girl I work with that she, she can actually handle quite a bit of load. She's newer to running, but she's very, very durable. So she gets more run programming than some of my other people that I work with, just because I know based on that progressive overload. And I've seen it now because I've worked with her long enough that she can handle more volume so, and everybody's sense. different. Absolutely. And then yeah. and it all comes down to, you know, what people's goals are too. Like if your, if your goal is new marathon distance, like, do you really need to be doing that many miles a week? You know? Um, so there's a lot of factors I think that play into it too, that, you know, a lot of people want to run six days a week, seven days a week, that sort of thing. But do people really need to? Right. Yeah. No, that's a good question. Uh, do you need to Does but, and everybody's body is efficient at different things. And also, oh, this is one thing that drives me crazy about people who run ultras constantly. And they're like, well, I need to run hundred miles a week, every week. You understand Olympic marathoners run those large volumes for about leading up to an event. And then they take a month off. Then they, they don't run for a couple of weeks. They cannot like you can't keep that constant stimulus and expect it to be sustainable. That's just not very realistic. The human body needs a, a rest. Yeah. <laughs> and so that drives me nuts. I'm like, well, this person does it. Yes. For six weeks at a time. That's all. <laughs> right. If you look at their whole year. <laughs> yeah. <about> that. <laughs> no, there, there's big breaks in there. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I'm, my so. brother's an ultra runner and he'll, he has, he, uh, he has a really good presence on Instagram and will like not so share like specifically what he's doing training wise, but we'll throw out there. It's like, yeah, it's like lower mileage week this week or this month, or, you know, when right. he's working on more speed versus distance. And, um, just to really show like, there's a real, like, you're not just doing long miles every single day. No, it's just not sustainable. Like your body, you have to have that rest period. Again, there's that adaptation and you have to allow that to occur. And that also, again, looks different on everybody. Some people might recover in a week. Some might need three weeks. Mm-hmm. After I run a beast, I need a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> Some people go the next day right back at it. And I'm like, uh-uh, that's not going to work for me because two weeks from now, I'm going to feel awful. <laughs> so it's just not worth it. <laughs> yeah. And as you get older, that increase, that time increases. <laughs> That is also like, true. You'll recover like two days after these. Why is it taking me so much longer now? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's a sad, that's a different, no, that's not. <laughs> no one wants to talk about that. <laughs> no one wants to talk about that. Uh, anyway. Um, how does, whether it's from a physical training point or working with mindset with people, how does everything like you've experienced as an athlete play into how you do things as a coach? Oh, that's a good question. So again, it kind of depends on what the person needs. A lot of the stuff that I program, like I'm very specific with each of my people. So I get to know them. I'm very close with them. Um, I like to communicate so I know what they need. And I think 
so I, I work with a sports psychologist too. And not that I know everything, but um, I don't just say a lot of the same things to them that she says to me. <laughs> hey, I get it. <laughs> I <should just> <laughs> I mean, it's all knowledge, right? Um, so, and a lot of it, honestly, is, is confidence. Like having my athletes learn confidence in me, in my programming, um, cause if they don't believe in me and what I'm writing and prescribing for them, then it's just not going to work. They're not going to be successful. And that means I'm not a good match for them and that's okay. Um, but also I think generally speaking, confidence seems to be a theme for everyone, whether that be in me programming or in their own abilities and what they can actually accomplish. But I also make sure to remind them that I will never program anything for them that I don't think they can do. And by me saying that to them, they're like, oh, she believes in me, so I can do this. Now, sometimes they'll exceed those expectations, but that's okay. That means that now I need to make some adaptations to their programming, but also now they, that gains their trust in me again, too. Um, So like, I, I will never give them anything that they're not capable of completing. Okay. Awesome. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that confidence aspect, whether it's, well, like you said, they have to have confidence in you because otherwise that relationship isn't going to be good at all. But um, confidence in what they can do is definitely huge as well, especially going into like difficult events, races, that sort of thing. How do you, like, especially for someone who you're training for like a race, if they don't have access to obstacles, like how do you help them develop that confidence? And like, they can do some of these things when they've never been introduced to them, or at least have only been introduced to them, maybe like once or twice in a race. Sure. Um, so I'm actually, I I asked them what they have available in terms of, um, like equipment and stuff. And I can be pretty adaptable. Um, I'm, I keep using that word a lot, but, uh, it's very key. So, (laughs) If they don't have specific obstacles, then I think about like movement patterns in terms of like, what could we do with what you have to mimic the motions that you're going to need to be able to master in order to complete such obstacles. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of ways to do that. Like sometimes you have to be a little creative, but I, I have a, my degrees in, um, I have a master's of kinesiology with a biophysical emphasis. So that's a lot of words to say biomechanics. Um, so <laughs> knowing, knowing movement patterns and stuff is kind of my specialty. So really like I'll spend a lot of time sitting, sitting here, like just imagining like ha- what motions are actually occurring and then replicating that in a workout, um, with whatever tools that they have available. So I love that you do that. Cause I do the same thing. I'm also like, okay, they have this issue. Like how does their body need to move? What can I create for them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make this all happen. <laughs> <laughs> How does your kinesiology background impact how you program for people as well? Um, well, so I, obviously I know a lot about physiology and just how like the body moves. Um, so I, I think that just having a general understanding of how the body actually works is kind of key because then I can program proper periodization and stuff for people. Um, like in terms of like what energy systems needing to be used and then leading up to events and stuff, what's going to be specific to what they need. Cause I mean, training for a sprint and training for a beast are very different. Um, 
have different mileage, you have different, different energy systems. Um, so I think, yeah, just knowing like the physiology aspect is kind of huge because I know what they need leading up to an event. That kind of answers the question. Yeah. Yep. It does. I had that same calendar on my wall. Shout out to Benga. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right, cool. I color coded my post-it notes for races. So the, the red ones are sprints. You see that? I do. And the, I love and I cut them to fit perfectly. Plus you have race type. I just have like training games <laughs> one color, rate like races and competitions as another color. I did not think about mm-hmm. switching it up based on type of race. Yeah. <laughs> right? so like, Ooh, that weekend is this and this. I have no idea where it's at, but I know that there's a sprint. You know what you're doing at least. <laughs> oh, that's <Yep>. awesome. <laughs> anything else we kind of to start wrapping it up anything we haven't discussed that you think just either as like your experience as an athlete or um, knowledge as a coach would be helpful for people to know I think you need to vet your coach um, for people looking like there's a lot of people who are coming into the industry saying yeah I'm a coach and I can offer you this this and this but do they actually have the credentials and knowledge to be offering that Um, I think that's huge. I think athletes also need to interview their coaches, like not in the sense of like, what are you going to do for me? I don't like that, but like, you know, asking what their training, training philosophy is, what, what types of programming, like, um, do they ask your injury history? Like all of those things, you want to make sure that they're getting that information because they need as much information as possible to make the most applicable program. So you need to ask them as many questions as hopefully they're asking you. And if they're not asking you those questions, you need to find someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great advice right there. (laughs) I love it. Awesome. Well, Ashley, if someone wants to follow your story or has more questions for you around coaching, where can they find you? Yeah. So I spend most of my time on Instagram, not most of my time, but most of my social media time. <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> um, and that's Ash Mill Ost 22. I got really creative when I made my Instagram profile a lot back in the day. It's just my email. <laughs> You're like, what's that mean? I'm like, it's really not significant at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Ash Mill Ost 22. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you hopping on and talking with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation on Highly Functional. Before I go, I want to talk to you about my rope climb training program. In order to climb a rope efficiently and effectively, you need both strength and proper technique. If you have one without the other, it's going to be a lot more difficult to climb you're gonna use a lot more energy and you have more chance of failing. So if you wanna be more efficient with your rope climbs in order to have more chance of success at your next race, pick up my rope climb training program. You can check it out at getyourfixpt.com courses along with all my other online programs. Thanks again for tuning in today and now it's time to go out and be highly functional.